Put it on the beat. Well, another episode of the Tribe Podcast. Steve, my man, it's been a little while. I'm, uh, I'm really eager to catch up. Thanks for jumping on, man. Yeah, man, it's good to see you. I feel the, the vibe of your room is like, under the sea. <laughs> Under the sea. <laughs> You're getting some of that. So for those you cannot see at home, I have this nice royal blue background, which is very emblematic of where I am at. I am in Merida, Mexico right now in the Yucatan Peninsula. And uh, life has been good, man. I've been, I've been enjoying it, been making the most of it. It's not a vacay, still working, still hustling, still putting in the grind. But the background of the backdrop has been really nice. Love it, man. I've been doing the working vacays too, and I've been loving it. Some really camping love... just recently, right? Yeah, some camping. Uh, I mean, there was a time, I don't know, there was a time when I would be like upset I had to work at, at like a vacation or something, but like, I guess just where I'm at right now, I'm fully energized in the business again and just like you know, bring it, bring it at me, you know, like there's that, you know, I'm just, I'm just in it and it, it's fun. So that's where I'm at today, man. How about you? How you feeling? It's crazy how those cycles and those waves come and go. I feel like one thing I've had to, I'm maturing in my thinking has been around viewing there being a specific destination or a status quo that I was going to lock in and was going to be just like stable and right out as opposed to, just being okay with the ups and downs and the wave and the ephemeral nature of all the things that I hold dear and work being one of those things. There are times where I'm like in the saddle, locked and loaded and times where my eyes gaze elsewhere. And I think for me, maturity has meant like less moralizing or judging that and more just being kind of good riding the, the peaks and valleys with it. I, I can kind of relate to what you're saying. I am fairly engaged. Let's say I've gone from walking to jogging and now ratcheting up to sprinting specifically uh, in my engagement with Lead Simple around taking this new workflow product to market. Sometimes things just like shift and the energy isn't, I'm not feeling an obligation. I'm feeling excitement mm -hmm. and pull uh, in a good way rather than some kind of like blow up that's created this responsibility that I didn't really want to have. How, how, how about you? How did you kind of back into the new, the additional engagement? Yeah, I think it was a culmination of new people who I was, who I was really excited about having on the team. Like some people I feel were really high quality, uh, new hires and I'm, I, I'd see big things for them. So I'm like, man, I gotta make sure we don't just like flub this onboarding or flub, you know, who we are and so uh there's that also we're kind of going through a little bit of like a restructuring which is just natural as you grow like kind of moving people around and so i had to cover um more i had to cover a couple departments whereas before i didn't have to cover any departments but that was also the problems because we had one person my operations manager kind of like in charge of basically every department except sales and marketing and so that became a problem and so uh, yeah, just kind of a reassessment, um, in those two areas has really got me, really got me kickstarted. Now with you, what, uh, what was it? Was it around the product or was it around the team or what happened? There? Both, nice. both for sure. Having some more direct reports that were 
was really excited to invest in, seeing them step up, feeling like I was going to get a return on my time. I feel like one good indication that something is broken is when one-on-ones feel like this chore, mm. you know, it's like, oh yeah, like I read it about it in the book and I guess I gotta go, you know, but if, if one-on-ones feel like a chore, either you've got the right, the wrong person in the role, or this is somebody, a role that you shouldn't have reporting to you. Like you're just not, you're not into the work. Yeah. One-on-ones are new to me, to be honest. Uh, like. I just actually did my first round. Now we would do performance reviews and that was always me and my operations manager. And then about a year ago, it changed to just me and my operations manager for the leadership team. So I wasn't having one-on-ones with just like everybody, but I would pick and choose and like snag someone for lunch every now and again. But I actually did a formal, like, all right, I'm having a one-on-one with everyone, pull time on my calendar. And it was actually really exciting. What do you do? Uh, what do you try to get out of those? If anything, like, do you have a format or is it just like a what's up check? And how did this come about for you? Yeah. So more informal historically becoming more formalized. I got, um, I found, I think it was a two pager out of a book called manager tools by a guy named Mark Horstman, uh, that was recommended to me by Steve and Sam Schwetz actually shout out to those guys, Mesa properties somewhere out in California. Um, so it's becoming a little bit more formalized, but for the most part, it's been pretty, historically, it's been pretty low key, get in the same room, get on the same page, sick up, what's working, what's not, how are you feeling? How can I help you, et cetera. And a lot of those have felt fairly mechanical and like, this is like a box to check where the, the light bulb of the epiphany for me was getting into a relationship with someone where we blow past a half hour and it's like, you know what, uh, I'm not going to schedule this every couple of months like i'm going to do this like weekly because i feel like i'm getting a high roi on my time you give them a little bit of input and they do a lot with it when i feel like there's leverage i want to lean in and for me as a manager with my personality and disposition i need fewer higher quality reports in a, in a direct reporting capacity that's um that was a really helpful epiphany for me yeah yeah i think that's important i mean right now i'm sunk back in and want to check in with everyone and so I feel good about that to kind of, cause I'm getting re I'm like coming back into the waters in some degree. So I like, I need a status check. I need to know like where people's heads are at, but, uh, but yeah, man, I love it. And I think that's a good, that's a good barometer. So like overall, when, when we were talking about taking a vacation and fully engaged in the work, like, yeah, things are great today. My head is a mess. I'm like, I'm like, I even tried to go surfing. That didn't help. And I, just like my mind's all over the place. And I think it's a function. I'm trying to figure out like what it's a function of. I think there's, I'm, I'm not organized. Like there's too many like things going on. And I feel whenever there's like something, I don't know the definite next step on and something important. I'm one of those people that like, I have to do it now. Like, and then if I'm relying on someone else, it like stresses me out, you know? And so and then I'm like beating myself up, like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, just like chill out, blah, blah, blah. But it's, um, I don't know. I think I'm just, I'm a mess today a little bit. <laughs> Highs and lows, man. It happens. Yeah, it happens to me. I was a kind of mess over the weekend. I find that what happens on my Friday afternoon can have a significant impact on my weekend. So I'm, I've tried to be more careful about not having any key meetings on Friday afternoons, because if they don't break my way, 
they can just like kick off a cascading thought that I carried through the weekend. I had a good Friday afternoon this week, had some some exciting wins. Um, but I did pick I did pick an aspect of something that isn't working at one company and I, I kind of ruminated. I did some looping over the weekend. And I think you know, some of that is just the nature of being an entrepreneur, that obsessive, compulsive nature. But I'd like to think it doesn't have to be that way. And there's there's progress along the way. But there's not, I mean, don't you feel like there's an aspect of just ownership and care that is intrinsic in being the kind of person that started it up in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like you're talking about always having it top kind of on your mind to some degree in the background yeah yeah for sure you got ownership you just, I, I don't want to let people down you know what i mean like i want to make sure we follow through on things that we're trying to do and i think it's just natural like there's a lot of shifting going around going on right now and so um it's actually exciting and it and it, and it can be like uh that alarm clock like byron katie talks about that like reminds you like hey if you have a stressful thought you're in that you're living it you're in a dream. It's like waking you up to like, oh wait, this isn't true for you. You're believing something that isn't true for you. So I've actually been doing a lot of work, uh, the work by Byron Katie lately, and that's actually been really helpful. Specifically, one book, A Mind at Home with Itself, is like fantastic. It's um based on the Diamond Sutra, which is like around uh, uh, generosity and like there's no essentially that the teaching is like there's no self. This gets pretty deep, but like. When you like everything is based around your idea of yourself. So if you actually like short circuit that and just go with the fact like the Buddha would teach that there actually is no self. Like mm. there's there's no there's no you, there's no me. Like ultimately we evaporate, we go into like the collective, you know, uh, you know, uncertainty out there. But um it's interesting because when you strip away the self, all that's left is just like being generous. Mm. And so like an example, I had this client. And normally it would have like stressed me out. I had to respond, but I was in the zone. I think it was Friday. And I was like totally in this like zone where I was just existing in life and all reality was kind. And it was just like feeling good. Right. And I'm just like helping this person out because I don't have anywhere to be. And like you said today, what if every present moment was like a 10, like Eckhart Tolle says, Yeah. like, Oh, the frustration comes from you feel like you like that's where the frustration I think is coming from me today is like I'm doing all these lower level activities, quote unquote, that like I shouldn't be doing. And it's like stressing me out to a degree, too. But um, but it's all necessary. And like, I don't know, it's just I'm trying to make sense of it. <laughs> that's all we can do, man. I'm, I was looking at that quote that um, I sent you and Cliff, I think it was from Justin Kahn. And the essence of the co the essence of the quote was just around this idea that our expectations for the future or that it was basically saying that deferring and meditating on how we're going to feel in the future creates ongoing suffering today when it's all about like hitting the goal. And once I hit the goal, I'm going to be at this place of relief and transition it feels like it's like, okay, well, I guess like it's natural to suffer now because eventually I'm going to feel some kind of a way yeah. and then you get there and it's like next, 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 next. So I like the, the kindness thing, like being kind to yourself in that regard. Yeah. You've been meditating on that. I've noticed a lot. Like, uh, what comes up for you around, like, 
is that a personal experience that you've you've like noticed with yourself like all right I'm, I'm not feeling good now but once we get to x i'm gonna feel better and then like hitting that and realizing it didn't make you feel that way or is it just more of like a esoteric no that was my experience of entrepreneurship for probably the first six or seven years was it was just like constant disappointment constant I want to do XYZ, but it's not happening. It's not going fast enough. Yeah, it's like constant disappointment and constant suffering, constant pushing and striving. And it could never be, this is what I told my business partner one time. I, I craved and I desired it just being a Tuesday as opposed to us being in this critical window on the cusp of hitting this goal and shipping this thing that could unlock the possibility to reach an inflection point, et cetera. It could never just be Tuesday and you know i'm just kind of working doing what i do and enjoy like it, it was almost like this there was a need for a crisis to believe that we were just on the the point of nirvana and like that was what kept me going mm -hmm. as opposed to me being contented with working hard helping people and you know just being in a in a multi-decade journey i have i've been doing it longer so i have a longer term perspective now yeah. i think that's part of it yeah okay yeah i feel you yeah i think we've all I, I think jim carrey actually i read something where he said um i wish everyone could become could get everything famous. they ever wanted so they would realize <laughs> yeah. it's still not enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know where i heard that but i love that quote yeah, yeah dude it's such dude. a trip and he's freaking have you seen him lately he's a trip man he like the beard and the yeah. art yeah he's like he's going deep on the uh we don't exist type <laughs> train but yeah he is a trip and he's still doing his his craft too he's yeah, uh, i heard he's doing joe biden on snl that actually will make me tune in if i oh wow <laughs> that should be that should be interesting you know it's interesting he kind of reminds me of like a modern day yogi in the sense that you think a lot of um, spiritualists like in, in other countries and they're people with like long shaggy beard and they've effectively done all these things to make them outcasts to rob them of the ability to have status along traditional means and Jim Carrey has kind of done that to some degree not completely but he's done a lot of crazy stuff like what's the last yeah I, I remember this one year where I think it was Ace Ventura the mask and like oh and Dumb and Dumber I think I think those all came out in one year Really? It was like, it, yeah, it was like, it was like top of that, you know? Wow. And he hasn't, like he hasn't, he's, he's, he's shifted. He's really, he's gone his own way. James Franco, I can think of a number of artists that have really decided to go. Oh, uh, Shia LaBeouf. Did you happen to see that, this video the other day? There was a cast reading that had like Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, 30 actors and Shia LaBeouf is in it. And I don't know if he was like high out of his mind or what, but he's just like smoking a cigarette the whole time. He's like the one guy that's clearly, you know, not reading from the same sheet music as everybody else. Really? Is it like before he was famous or something? No, dude, it was like last week. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I'll have to check it out. So timeline, man, like what is, I've been thinking about this. What is your timeline with good life you we all know all the um common wisdom about compound interest but in a business setting that feels like really boring and really lame to have slow steady compound growth what is your timeline with good life and how often do, do you ever think about that 
Yeah, I mean, we got a a ten year plan. You know, I I got got a, I got a ten year goal. You know, hit a certain revenue target. But uh, can you really see yourself like in your mind's eye? Like, what is your level of realism and comfort seeing yourself? You know, sticking around for another decade. Um. So it's if you know me, it jumps around. So like a year ago, I didn't have one. So that's the thing, which is like interesting is that I, I don't know it shifts for me like uh i'm fully engaged and i'm coming back into good life and i see like a path forward and i see like a future and i see things that excite me and you know what it really culminated around i think in part was uh some of the work with gail when we redid our e, uh, vto uh-huh. it was like okay why did you start the business steve like re- go back to like when you started the business why did you start it and i was like just giving kind of like generic answers, you know, I just, you know, wanted to help people and blah, blah, blah. But then like, I really thought about it and she kind of pushed me on it. And I was like, wait a minute. I remember I started it because management sucked. And like, I wanted to, like, I thought that was actually an area that like could actually use improvement. And so I wanted to kind of reimagine kind of like how that was done and then help people along the way. Like, and I was like, I kind of got reconnected to that. I was like, dude, that was why I started it. I remember like, and so some of the things that I'm looking forward to that I think kind of stress me out now, but I'm trying just to like love the process and stay in the moment. And for everyone listening out there too, like help me with this. I try not to beat myself up over this. Like I'm a little bit of a mess in my head today, but like, I'm trying not to like get bent about my, to myself about this. Like, you know, like, making your ego the problem is just more ego. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. just trying to notice the nature of like, whoa, I'm kind of like really scattered totally. today. But totally. like enlightenment is just realizing that and, you know, making a step forward. So, um, so yeah, so I forget where I was going to go with that, but, but, uh, Time, but yeah. Timeline. Oh yeah. So that's got me reengaged um, for now. But the thing that's partly stressing me out, I think is that, a big part of this, at least for me, is like innovation. And like nobody's, we're not really innovating right now. We're not like, you know, like everyone's kind of in the dredges, like making sure the ship's like righted, you know, which is natural. So I'm just trying to love this part and realize this part is going to lead to the next part. And I'm also trying to think of my advice to like, I tell other people when they're coming up, like especially 21, 22, 23 young people, I'm like, hey, it takes 10 years to like, uh-huh. so like, why am I going to think the next step shouldn't take 10 years? I mean, maybe I'll, I'm smarter. Maybe I'll take five or six or seven, but it's like probably going to, let's just plan for 10. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so those are the things that I'm thinking about right now. I think it's a great aspiration to commit to 10 years. It calls something out of you. It's like, I don't care how disciplined you are. You can't grind for 10 years. If there's no joy, you really don't enjoy it. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're going to break and therefore the division won't happen. So to commit to that kind of a time horizon requires a certain level of sustainability, joy, innovation for me, creative expression through the process. I like that part of it, but in terms of the basic blocking and tackling, yeah, I was just thinking about compound interest. You know, I got out my little calculator and I was like, you know, okay, what if we just grow at a 10% rate, you know, something that's really not that exciting, but is still has upside. Because if you think about investments in the stock market, right? Like if you talk to your financial advisor and he's like, wow, if you could get a 10% year over year return for 30 years, you're rich. 
But in a business sense, it's like, oh, like, you know, God bless you. I'm sorry that you weren't able to get more, you know, (laughs) double year over year growth. But having been in it for a decade now, I mean, I, I see how the little things add up. And I have a lot of admiration for people that do have like that steady staying power versus like me. I can be all flighty, like I'm over here and then I get bored and then I got to go, I, I leave and I got to go find something else that has a lot of juice and action in it. And then I kind of come, come back to have one or more business partners that are like integrator stable types. Is, it's been a real godsend for me. Yeah. That's a good balancing act. I think, uh, I think it also comes down to like the people, like the caliber of people. So if everyone's growing and, uh, we're like, that's one of the things that's exciting me right now is we have great people already. We have a few new people who I think have a lot of potential. And so that's exciting me. So as I grow in the business world and understanding business and such, um, you know, hopefully we get a CFO that, you know, like, you know, a CFO, a COO, like, you know, actual, and hopefully they come from, you know, inside the organization. But um, I think it's just exciting to work with ex- like really people that are really good at what they do, you know? Man, bro, so like that, that another thing that Clint and I and you were talking about in that thread, and actually you came up with, you referenced this from Gail. What, what was the way that you put it? Basically people that are ready to perform today, what did you say, ready to go to market versus yeah, what? Go to market versus uh, train, training to market or something or something. I've done both and what a marked difference it is. I'm getting a lot more conviction around working with folks that have worked at a larger scale and are ready to like show up and mock from day one, particularly around direct reports, not as a universal role, not in every role in the company, but for my personal direct reports, that's a, it, it makes a huge difference to start working with somebody that has a bunch of new defaults where like they know more than I do in their specific domain. Yeah. They make you raise your game. Um, I think that's, I think that's important. I I do like that. I mean, we've always, we haven't really got someone from the outside yet, but like, I definitely see, especially where we're at currently, not that I have plans to do that, like at a high level, like bringing a high level leader or anything right now, but um, I'm noticing and I'm telling, talking to my team about this, it's like, it's hard to hack it at a certain point. Like, that's why I'm always pushing my leadership team, especially like to be reading these books and like consuming these podcasts because business is not something you just like kind of figure out usually at a certain point. Like, all right, let's just use management, like 400 units. Like you can scrap and get to 400 and that's great. And then like, then getting to 800 is kind of like needs a different skill set. And then like past that, if you want to continue to, to grow, like it requires a new skill set. And like, if you're not, I guess some people just like, like Gary Vee is someone that comes to mind who kind of claims like he like never reads any books. He just kind of like knows how to do stuff. But I would say that's the exception, you know, <laughs> usually people have to be students of business. Yeah. And so um, I think uh, Gail's been great. Cause like someone like that, uh, like maybe like a coach or someone that can help facilitate or, or kind of mentor a leadership team is really great if they're not actually doing like the, the actual consumption on their own. Now, I don't mean all everyone on my team isn't. There are a few, couple, few people on my leadership team that do like, you know, consume a lot of information like that, but um, yeah. So, so the, the wisdom 
and the defaults from outsiders I value, especially those defaults. The default to me is like, I'm quibbling with a partner about something. We bring in somebody with the default and they just immediately have like an 80% correct answer. And we're either a little to the right or a little to the left, but there's like a known baseline as opposed to me speculating about the baseline. But accountability is the other piece of that. Any, any updates or additional feedback on um, working with Gail and just like, because that's why that, that was the attraction to me and why I went down that, that path. It's like sometimes I feel like I'm in the same conversation with some of my team members like over and over and over or with another operator or, or even with myself, honestly. Um, just getting uns like accountability can be a way to get unstuck, to really like force you to sit in it. Do you have any any examples of that or, or any updates on how that accountability piece is like what the dimension that's added for you? Yeah, I mean, I think paying a third party, number one, comes with some more accountability because you're like, hey, I'm spending money. We better do the things we say we're going to do. So there's that. Sure. Um, there's definitely a benefit from having any type of third party outside person kind of unstick some regular conversations. So there's some great progress we've made on some things that have kind of been lingering uh, that now that we have kind of like uh, an understanding about. So that helped unstick some conversations. And then probably the biggest uh, payoff so far has been bringing to the surface some conversations that I didn't even know needed to be had. Yeah, uh, dude. Like Love things that. I didn't even really see or like <laughs> notice, you know? <laughs> that part's always crazy in business. I've had this experience at times where like, we grow or we add headcount. It's like, oh man, great. Like it's all new, like new greenfield, new capacity, new stuff. And then I realized like, oh wait, like there's like a looming bill. There's like this like outstanding cultural organizational invoice that has to get paid. And I can't yeah. just go after the new stuff. I have to deal with internal stuff. And yeah, I can feel a little jolting at times, but you know, obstacle is the way, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I don't know what it looks like yet, but I've realized one of my, um, I don't know if it's a unique ability, but one of the things I'm excited about like leaning into more is being in charge of recruiting great people, like- Talent, yes. Like, uh, I don't know what book, uh, what book highlighted that, but they're basically saying like at a certain point, a CEO's like number one job is recruiting people. And I know that will depend on maybe your organization and not everyone's like hiring, you know, 500 people or whatever, but, um, it doesn't even have to be employees, like bringing on a great EOS facilitator, bringing mm -hmm. on a great fractional CFO, like profit coach or something, bringing on, um, it's like being out in the world and finding these great people. Cause man, that's another part of it. And I think I mentioned it, it's like working with someone uh, that really knows what they're doing and it, and it adds a new dimension, excites me, you know? And so, um, I have a list of my three most important money-making activities that I look at daily. Learning and thinking, number one. Number two, recruiting great coups. And number three, leading and developing the team. And so right now I'm spending almost zero time in any of these. Like <laughs> I'm just so caught in it, but I, I'm okay with that. And there will be a time when uh, I get to do more of this stuff. But uh, what, what do you, have you thought about like what your three activities maybe are like where yeah. you aspire to spend most of your time? 
I love the you that documented. Is that a strategic coach thing? The, the three money making activities? It is. Yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah. So when I think about, about it, I think about Fred Wilson's basic definition of, of the three things that a VC does. I actually have this as like the, the one email that permanently sits at the bottom of my email nice. inbox. Ooh, and, one email. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, you know, inbox zero, but yeah. the subject line, what a CEO does. A CEO does only three things, sets the overall vision and strategy of the company and communicates it to all stakeholders, recruits, hires, and retains the very best talent for the company and makes sure there is always enough cash in the bank. Mm. Got it. What's that from? Um, Fred Wilson. You could just Google what a CEO does. And that's okay. the first thing that comes up. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So if I was going to put some color on it, I would say recruiting is something that I've grown into. And now I'm really excited about finance, making sure we always have enough cash in the bank. That's definitely something I've grown into. I mean, that was a lot of effort in terms of financial modeling, et cetera, but it's paid off because now we have a baseline of a functioning model that we, we always come back to when we make financial decisions. If you, if anybody listening, if you have not invested in the financial model, I think that's a really durable tool. And then setting the overall vision and strategy and communicating it to all stakeholders. So growing in communication uh, just today, I saw somebody say something to the effect of like, if anything is worth saying, it's worth over repeating to the point of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good reminder. There, there are important things I'm not saying enough. Core values are not being repeated enough times, unpacked, explained. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the leadership component, the vision part, definitely. What do you think about a manager's role in the organization like not so much like the person that actually is in charge of the the people below them in their department like i read this book uh by the gallup organization i think i posted it on the chat but it was uh what great managers do differently or something like that and it talks about how like people don't leave their companies they leave managers and like people don't stay for companies, they stay for their manager. And like the manager is so important. And um, like good managers actually manage people differently, like based on who they are. Like that's actually, it's one of the the book is called like how how they break all the rules or something. And one of the thing is like you manage people differently based on like you get to know your people. I think that's one of the areas we struggled with a bit was was management because for whatever reason like i'm coming in and seeing certain things and like i can i can snip out something like bad and like correct it not that i'm like the best manager but i think i didn't get my people that were were managers maybe the best training on that or maybe i kind of just threw them into that position like like the people on let's say uh lead simple like does everyone know exactly who their boss is or like who their manager is and like is that person i mean i don't mean to call you out or anything but like what do you think about managerial roles? Like, is that somewhere yeah. you're doing well? You know, we have one person that is a floater. Everybody else knows who the direct report is. And that, that floater situation is something that I got to get fixed. Um, the management layer is newer for us. We, in terms of what was putting wind in my sails, we promoted somebody out of engineering and into a management role over the success function. And they're killing it and doing great young guy early still learning 
um, working with him to communicate and talk about job responsibilities and we're kind of learning as we go but if i was describing him like the basic responsibilities the basic responsibilities are to be really clear on the organizational priorities communicate that to the team and to keep a close enough touch to know what's actually happening without getting consumed in the day-to-day because -day. there's that temptation to just like grab a wrench and start you know working and doing direct labor so it's a it's a work in progress um but i i'm really excited about the specific person that i'm talking about because i see that's the best way to put this like they're, they're they're somewhat charismatic like they have a lot of passion for the subject matter at hand i know there's a bunch of management best practices but to me that's really important as to to be led by a true believer yeah yeah that's something i'm going to be focusing on as we kind of make this transition is uh one of the things i like is that each I now have one name in each department that's in charge of that department, as opposed to like when I had, had Dave's name in like five departments, you know, like overseeing it, which was a problem now. So, um, but then the next step, I guess, is making sure each person that leads that department really knows how to manage people effectively. And that's like such a skill. Like um, one of the great things I like about the feedback, uh, excuse me, the Netflix book, the no rules. Yes. Yes. Um, was there's a few things I like, but one of them was the feedback, like how they build feedback into their meetings. I'm going to test that. Actually, I just uh, made some changes at a couple of our department meetings. Like, you know how EOS has uh, office updates, employee team office updates. I put a little slashy, I put slashy feedback and I'm such a freaking honk. I totally believe in like things need to be said like, okay, Maybe not everything. Like if you just realize you hit your piss to this person, like if you want to sit on it for a day or a few week, make sure that's how you really feel. Okay, cool. But usually everyone can benefit from just putting the stuff out in the open. You know what I mean? And so I really want to try that. And I really want to build a culture like that because I'm really good. I'm not to pat myself on the back of like trying to draw that out of people and like trying to have the hard conversations. I could definitely get better, but that's one thing I do well. But I don't know if I wasn't there, if that would still happen. That's something that scares me at a managerial level is like, how do you teach that to other people? Like they really have to be, unless they're like an effective manager with a track record. Like I'm talking about trying to grow department leaders into good managers, you know? I feel like that the book really lowers the bar. The book we're talking about is authored by Reed Hastings. It just came out like a week ago. I feel like it lowers the bar. One of the examples that it invokes is someone being in a meeting and seeing their boss be corrected in a very direct way by a subordinate meeting ends and the guy in the meeting goes to his, his boss comes over and says hey how you doing and he says oh i'm doing pretty good but man i can't believe so and so called you out in a meeting like that and his boss says joe if he hadn't done that he wouldn't have a job here three to six months from now and I think I kind of like that, that really like clicked for me. It was like, they're framing the unwillingness to give feedback as disloyalty to the company. Rather than feedback being like a nice to have, it, it's an imperative and the absence of it is actually something that drives confrontation and negative outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And that actually just happened to me recently where we did some assessments 
couple people on my team said, yeah, everything's fine in this department. A week later, the department blew up, like major problems, like, oh, like red alert, red alert. We like have to pull resources like into this department. <laughs> and we're like, what, well, what happened? Like, what's going on? Did you not speak up? Like when we talked, you know, yeah, I think about, this came out on some of the one-on-ones. Yeah, you know, like, I, I don't know, I guess I could. I'm like, okay, you understand that not speak so you sometimes especially people in other um countries maybe like the culture is a little different like with yeah. the mexico team is like they don't they wouldn't speak up against the superior but i was like i explained just that to them i'm like no like that will cost you your job is not speaking up speaking mm. up will be really well respected as long as wow. you do it in a fair way <laughs> you know like but it's different here like you know, we need you to speak up because it's for the best of, uh, and it's not personal. This is just business, you know, it's not personal. If something's not being done right. Just call it out and let's talk about it and figure it out. Yeah, that so totally much, makes sense. There's so much drama though. Have you dabbled into Cy Wakeman's books? Have you heard of her? No, I have not. Dude, you should check it out. Uh, it's called No Ego, I think her book is, and it's about so I almost didn't read it at first because I'm like, we don't have, this is like when I thought we didn't have any people issues like six months ago, <laughs> but then I actually read it and uh, it's even for people that don't think they have people issues in it. She documents how much the cost of drama costs organizations. And I didn't read it originally because I was like, oh, we don't really have drama like people like, but like drama is just like, oh, my feelings are hurt over this thing. And just like all this like needless drama, but um it's just interesting, like how much, um, like drama is also not saying what needs to be said. So I would lump that into the same category. It's like politicking, not, not saying what needs to be said. And so she teaches like reality-based leadership where it's just very like, you know, like you believe that because you're getting pulled into your ego. Like it has nothing to do with just like the reality of the situation is this person said this. Okay, great. You know, that's what we're gonna do you know what i mean it's like there's all these emotions and like i <laughs> you gotta have emotional iq definitely and you gotta be responsive to your team's like needs but there's also like like something happened recently at a level 10 and one part of me was like oh i gotta like bring that up that was like kind of harsh the other part of me was like no we were just debating the merits of a freaking initiative we don't need to coddle each other at the end of meetings as long as we know we trust and respect each other well, so that's one of the things the Netflix yeah. book mentions is like belonging cues. Yeah. Oh, right. Like that. so, that's good. So in the, in the context of this harsh feedback going back and forth, man, I, dude, that's like such a big deal for me. I'm, I'm thinking about a certain relationship I have with one of my partners where I feel like I have to tread on eggshells in some ways, but then I'm also realizing that some the way i approach the feedback it can either be like something's broken and it's your fault or it can be like hey there's a problem like you know like let's tackle it like i'm in it with you as opposed to like there's me and there's you and the problem either exists on my side or your side yeah you know? yeah yeah dude i totally relate to that so right now there's two concepts that are really helping me on a personal level, but I'm wondering if they're like helping me on a business level. Okay, hit it. The one is um, like, I, I, do, I don't know, maybe I don't know. Like questioning yeah. the fact that I know anything, like, I mean, I know, I know certain things, but like just being open to the fact that I could be wrong. And, but I feel like at times it makes me like more undecisive, but I think that's probably okay with me because I'm normally like, I just go, go, go. 
And also, um, lack of understanding is always on my end. Like if there's a lack of understanding, like I can fix it. I guess that one's helping me more, but, um, but I still have that egoic, like, no, but they, this person freaking, you know, this person's the problem, but it's like, no, the lack of understanding is always on my end. This person shouldn't say that. Is that, is that true? Like, no, it's not true. The person said it and it's like, I'm living in reality here. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So let me like synthesize what you're saying. It's just like focusing on the things that you can control and not externalizing the problem. Yeah. Yeah. On the second one, but also on the first one, just, um, I guess just being open to not knowing and deferring to other people, uh, at certain times when I think I might know the right answer. Yeah. Right. You know, right. So it, rather than it being like, I started it, so I better have the answers, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. if not that's me, who dude, yeah. that's a serious amount of pressure, bro. Yeah. Even relationally and like with kids, you know, that can feel heavy at times, you know, kids ask questions that I don't know the answer to. It's like, well, I can make something up <laughs> right, or, right. or, you know, or I could just be more forthright about it. I want to, so I want to make sure I got that name right. You said Cy Wakeman. Was that the name of that book? Yeah. It should be, yeah. It should be C-Y um, and then Wakeman, W-A-K-E. No ego. Yeah. No ego. How, how leaders can cut the cost of workplace drama and entitlement and drive big results. Oh, baby. Um, it doesn't take much to get me going. I'm going right. to download that one. <laughs> I want to, I want to return the favor with what got you here. Won't get you there. Marshall Goldsmith. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. I, I think I've looked at that one at one point, but let me revisit that. Is it, are you liking it? I'm liking it and it's not what I expected. It's like on 21 specific behaviors that leaders engage in that are forms of self-sabotage. Here's a great example, adding value. The compulsive need to add value. Like somebody <laughs> tells you something and it can't just be like, oh man, thank you. Like, that was great. Like I, I, like, I, gotta, I gotta retort to be like, that's great. And, or did you know, oh, actually in light of that, here's a reference, here's a book, here's a construct, like augmenting and adding value instead of just like receiving it for what it is. Um, that would yeah. be like one of 21 examples. So I love little, just like awarenesses that can kind of develop in the background like that. Yeah, man, I love that. That's cool. I'll check that one out for sure. I'm digging it, man. Well, it's good to um, get cut up as always. Um, you got like one life anecdote. Like, what's what's the most interesting that happened to you in the last month? When can we can we end on one anecdote? Man, most interesting thing, personally or professionally? Uh, either, all around. So, I'm meditating on uh, this. God spare me from the desire for love, approval, or appreciation. Ooh. <laughs> Byron Katie says, I don't have a prayer, but if I did, it would be this. <laughs> God, spare me from the desire for love, approval, or appreciation. And she says she doesn't have a prayer because uh, she's fine with what is. And I just find that so freaking remarkable. It's like, like um, 
real quick, uh, my my team got me this book, Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. Nice. And and I love Jay Shetty. And like, dude, there looks to be so much like great stuff in it. I'm kind of like I'm skimming it. So I can't like say it's a, I'm not saying it's a bad book or anything, but just like and maybe it's the wrong time. Maybe it's me like six or seven years ago would have loved this or even three years ago because it's like, okay, get up, do your meditation, do your breath work. I'm like, no, I need less of that. Like I'm actually like right now, dude, I'm, I haven't meditated in like a month. Like I'm, I've meditated my six years straight, like every day. I'm just on this kick right now where I'm like, I need to stop adding things to try to like feel okay. Not that it's a knock, on anyone or, or even me like doing it. It's just like, I'm experimenting with like, my spiritual practice is doing this podcast. It's like, mm. it's writing my to-do list. It's doing the dishes. I sit, I lie down, I stand up. It's just like, it's just the reality of the situation at any moment, trying to just ground into it. And uh, yeah, man, that's kind of where I'm at. Well, wow. all right, well, Let's go ahead and step down our lower expectations dramatically for my share after that. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Um, mine, mine was is daily pool time. Steve, I know you don't have a pool, but you have the beach right next to your house. I have neither in Texas, and I guess my you know practical meditation has been daily pool time. Nice. There's a gorgeous pool right outside and every day at noon, I get my five-year-old and my three-year-old and we jump in the pool and it's just like this midday interruption, hit of dopamine, joy and perspective that didn't require a pool by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> However, the pool is enabling it. And um, man, it's just like, it's, it's given me a lot of gratitude and perspective, so. That's a dude. Oh, that you, you way overdid mine, man. Your that was great. Your energy. I love that, dude. I, I like where you're at right now, man. Thanks for checking in and sharing this time with me, bro. Yeah. As always, man, universe is doing great things and happy to, I'm proud to be your friend. Let's, uh, let's get caught up a month from now, brother. For sure, man. Strength and honor. Have a good day, boss. Peace. Peace.